Before I start getting into the text, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me another shot at this. And I also thank you for all you do for this church. I feel like I don't say it often enough or um, in the right way. So I'm saying it to you now. Thank you for all you do. I had a really good, interesting conversation with someone the other day about church. I love to talk about the church. It's one of my favorite topics. And this person I spoke with had um, experienced the church in a way that, in a similar way to the early church, I think. Um, it was a local group of, of Christians who came together and formed, you know, started a church from scratch. And leaders were chosen. And in some cases, people inserted themselves into leadership. And they worked through figuring out how, you know, what they were going to do and, and what they would sing and, and how they would worship and where they would meet and, and what, what, what they would do in, in ministry for the community and for each other. It was, it was fascinating to hear this person's story of how you do church or how you be the church from scratch, from the ground up. I could hear and I can imagine certain freedoms from form and practice which, which could be enticing to one who wanted to be a follower of Jesus unhindered by traditions and policies. It sounded like all that came at a price though. Confusion, chaos, people stepping on each other's toes, that kind of thing. Listening to this story, I kept comparing the anecdotes I was hearing to our long-established denominational church, which, along with all its warts and problems, has got stability and consistency on our side. We don't have to start from scratch every Sunday, figuring out, figuring out how to be church. The ship is already sailing toward heaven, and, and all one has to do is jump on for the ride. With, you got Jesus at the helm. He's our captain. We have His Word as our map to our destination. We have our music. We have our property, our tools. We're, we're going. We're on our way. Yet there are times when, and I don't know about you, if you think, you know, if you ask the same thing, there are times when I wonder, is this all that we do? Is this all that we are? Is there something more we should be doing? Should we be opening an orphanage in Guatemala like our sister church in Hood River? Should we be selling off all this valuable property and be a church with low overhead so that we can use the offerings to house people or to feed them or defend the unborn and the vulnerable? I have some pretty radical thoughts and ideas sometimes that if I were to craft them into a motion to put before you, the voting assembly, you'd probably throw me out of here. But don't worry. I'm not looking for chaos and confusion. I'm not wanting to start from scratch. You called me to jump on this boat with you, which is moving forward to the goal of heaven. And besides, the literature from our synod you know, says, yes, this is what we do. This is what we are. We are a people who gather together on Sunday to stand, not just figuratively, but literally stand together like we did during the gospel reading in the promise of a resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Your life, 
my life. Our good works are are marks of the church, but they don't make us the church. Christ makes us the church. And if our little missions and ministries and small groups were to go away, we'd still gather around God's word and his table and stand together pointing to the promise of the resurrection on the last day. It's good to know we don't have to reinvent the wheel every Sunday. But on this Sunday, how about we slow this boat down just a little and take a closer look at this reading from the prophet Zephaniah because after eight years and countless worship services, it seems we pass over these Old Testament readings, especially the ones from the prophets, way too fast without answering some questions that I know you have about it, like, why is this language so strange? Why does God speak so angrily to His people through it? And the burning question everyone wants to know the answer to, what's a fish gate? So, giving another shot at this, we're looking at a warning written from God, or a a, a written warning from God, that is, to His people Israel somewhere between 640 to 609 B.C. The people of Jerusalem and Judah have prostituted themselves. They've sold themselves out to the foreign gods of the neighboring kingdoms such as the Philistines and the Moabites and the Ethiopians and the Assyrians. And they're about to be overrun by the king of Babylon which is how God will sternly yet lovingly Turn Israel back to himself. And here's how part of the warning goes, and you can follow along in your service folder if you wish. On page, begins on page two. Be silent before the Lord God. In other words, shut up and listen. You know, this is how uh, a father talks to his children, or a mother even, you know. Be quiet and listen to me. In this case, it's, it's be quiet and listen to your Father, your Heavenly Father. For the day of the Lord is near. And so this is anticipation of the judgment day. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. Now this is not necessarily referring to Jesus yet. But the sacrifice that's being prepared is, is Jerusalem and, and Judah. That's the sacrifice. And consecrated his guests. Well, these guests are foreign nations. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, and uh, the sacrifice that he's referring to here is that uh, uh, Babylon is to consume the sacrifice. So Jerusalem and Judah are the sacrifice and uh, Babylon is going to eat it. He's going to consume the sacrifice. I will punish the officials and the king's sons. Well, who are these guys? Well, these are the leaders of Judah. Okay, they're the, they're the, the guys in charge and they wear the clothing of the heathen nations. So they've, you know, for, for generations they began to adopt the, the, the look. They're starting to look like the, the nations around them rather than wearing the traditional garb of the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And apparently God does not like that. And all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. 
Well, that's a hard one, but uh, the best I could find on that was that that might be a reference to a superstitious Philistine practice of, uh, by their priests. You know, kind of like uh, how kids don't like to, wa- uh, you know, they play the game of jumping over the cracks on the sidewalk. Uh, that's what this is referring to, but it's, it goes a little deeper to an actual uh, religious practice by one of these pagan nations, by their priests, of not stepping over or stepping on the, stepping on the thresholds of houses and buildings. <clears throat> yeah, so I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate. Well, this is the north wall of Jerusalem where there was a gate there. Well, I think there still is, but uh, at the time of this writing, uh, this gate was where the fish market was. And, you know, this wasn't fresh fish. <laughs> you know, there was no fresh fish anywhere around there. So it was the dried, salted stuff. Probably very, very smelly and lots of flies. A whale from the second quarter. All right, now this is a different area of the, t- of the city. This is the western hills of Jerusalem. Uh, and this is where the newer homes were built, the more expensive homes and the wealthier people lived there. A loud, oh uh, yeah, a whale from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. And so this is the sound of havoc and destruction that's coming. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. And uh, this is another difficult one to figure out what this is, but uh, the best scholars seem to think that this was another uh, possible uh, business district of the city of Jerusalem. Because the, the context of the next few verses seem to suggest this. For all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. And so the business people of the city uh, are mostly foreigners. And they're pagans. And they worship their idols and their statues. And they worship money. You know, they worship their, their wealth and their status. And you know how God just loves that, right? At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And so you get the, this is an, uh, this is to bring, this is picture language to cause in your mind to see God walking through the dark with a lamp through a house, looking for stuff, right? Uh, and, but in this case, he's looking, to, looking for men. And I will punish the men who are complacent. Oh, these men are, these complacent men are the Judeans, you know, the Israelites, uh, the people of God who have become complacent. They've forgotten God. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will, nor will he do ill. See, so they're just kind of indifferent now. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe there is a God, uh, maybe there is, I don't care. Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. So the, the vineyards are going to fail. The harvests aren't going to happen. The great day of the Lord is near. Now, you, you, you hear this a lot from the prophets, the minor prophets and the major prophets. Now, what is that? What is the great day of the Lord? Well, it's any day that the Lord acts, that he does something, or delivers on his promises. You know, it's, it's any day that the Lord delivers the goods that he says he's going to deliver. 
And in many cases, the prophets are referring to the last day, you know, the judgment day, although for them, that was way off, and they had only a, a, a very foggy uh, view of what that was. But a lot of times, the last day also referred to something very uh, short-term, and that would, would be a war coming at the hand of Babylon or Assyria, you know, where Israel would be under the judgment of another nation. But, you know, for our sake today, uh, it's any day that the Lord acts. He like, puts down his, his hand and does something. The sound of the, day of, the, of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. So even the bravest, strongest man will break down and cry. Ladies, you love it when men cry, don't you? Yes, you do. I know you do. On the day of, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. Well, that's all the opposite of the day of creation when everything was good and right and everything was being put together and held together. The opposite of that, on the day that the Lord acts, is everything's going to crumble away. And a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Uh, lofty battlements are lookout towers, the lookout towers of the city. Look, we could go on with this, where the, but this is where the lectionary reading ends for today, and I imagine it's been enough already. It's a lot to take in, but having gone through it a little deeper, I hope you get the gist. God's people of all generations, either from uh, Israel or the Christian church, are complacent towards God. But He shows and proves that He is not complacent toward us. We preach, teach, and believe that while the Christian church is sanctified and made holy by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the grave, God can, can still and has disciplined His church for her errors and acts. He takes corrective action, which is why we repent of our sin here at worship. It's why we must always take a look at ourselves and stay faithful to God's Word and not twist it or interpret it to conform to the, to the world, to the culture, which Jesus Himself says is a crooked and evil generation. Pastors and preacher, preachers and priests like me today are the reflections of the prophets of old like Zephaniah. Just like them, we can be killed for what we say and proclaim in some countries. In this land, we're not taken so seriously anymore. We're no longer seen as trusted leaders in the community who have something valuable to say about life and death and morality and ethical behavior and civic behavior. I mean, the church has had its time of being in charge, of being the leader in, in society. Now, more than before, the monkeys are running the zoo. And that's not to insult any person or group in society. It's to help you brace for more chaos that's coming. And to stand firm on Christ, the chief cornerstone of the church. Take the warnings of God seriously. 
don't get complacent into thinking as Christians we can never make mistakes and, and avoid the consequences of our dear Father in heaven who is not happy with our errors but loves you and me so much that rather than wiping us all out and starting from scratch again like he did back in the days of Noah, he came down from heaven and became one of us to be mocked and ridiculed and spat on and even killed so that all our errors, all our mistakes, our very sinful nature would be, that would be wiped clean, that we would be forgiven. Thanks be to Jesus, we don't have to start from scratch and figure out what to do to appease our disciplinarian Father in heaven. We don't have to, de- to devise some sacrificial system or program. It's already in place. Jesus is the system. He's the man. He's the sacrifice. The price of sin has been paid for you and me by Him. And that's the ticket. He's the ticket that you and I get as a free gift for this ship that's sailing and never stopping as we head to our destination. To see Jesus face to face and live with Him and all those who followed Him and went before us. And that's good news. Amen.